Hello, my name's Gizzy Erskine. And I'm Sydney Lima, and this is Sex, Lies and DM Slides. Where we invite our celebrity friends to dive deep into their DM boxes to see what terrors lurk within. We'll be chatting about online trolls, online dating, perverted proposals and why everyone's so weird on social media. Sex and Lies and DM Slides. This podcast contains adult content, graphic details of our sex lives and the filthy contents of our inboxes. You have been warned. I'm Gizzy Erskine. And I am Sydney Lima. And welcome to our Spotify original podcast, Sex, Lies, DM Slides, where we chat about sex and love in the age of social media. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. And today, we have <laughs> John Ronson. Oh my God. John, the love of my John. life. John. <laughs> Do you want to tell us a little bit about John Ronson in case you don't know who the legend is? Um, John Ronson is, well, he's a journalist, but he's also a writer. He wrote The Menu Stare at Goats. I, he did. Oh, he did indeed. Yeah. I first discovered him when he wrote The Psychopath Test, which was basically about all of my ex-boyfriends. <laughs> um, and then he went on to, I mean, he's, done, he's just done so many brilliant observational pieces, yeah. documentary style pieces on so many things. Most relevant to us, he did The Butterfly Effect, which was a podcast about porn. So that was about the death of a porn star called August Ames. And it was about her suicide that came after a lot of trolling and abuse online. Which is um, why he was the, one of the most perfect people. I mean, it was basically yeah. a segue into how the hell are we going to get Johnson Ronson yeah. to talk on our show? And, and he, he said I, yes after sliding into his DMs. I messaged him after the interview, actually, like hoping he'd reply or follow me back. And he hasn't. No, he hasn't me either, but he does like a lot of my when I say I'm like fangirling him constantly there's poor I, know, I keep seeing your God. comments on his post and yeah. then I like screenshot it so it's good to like <laughs> just, just back off my <laughs> to be honest Sydney was excited I was beside myself with excitement interviewing yeah. him God I don't really want to talk too much about this interview because it's kind of special and it speaks for itself but what I do want to talk <laughs> to you about something happened to me this week that was whew, it made me stop in my tracks. So I heard this week a friend's child, she's 13. Mm. There's a girl in her school whose mum's taken her for her first Brazilian wax. Oh my God, fuck off. 13 years fuck old. Fuck off. That freaks me out. That is so chilling to me. Oh my God, no, I actually feel a bit sick. And the reason I wanted to bring it up to you is because, and I'm really sorry to expose you quite like this, is because you, to me, were my absolute hero. Because you don't know what I'm about to say. Where <laughs> one of the first times that I hung out with Sydney and saw her fanny. <laughs> She's got that fucking... wasn't one of the first times. Yeah, she has pubes. I'm sorry, I'm saying. No, it. I mean I've. This is why I'm more like upset about this 13 year old having. Brazilian because like I mean I got like kind of shamed when I was growing up as a teenager because I didn't get the memo with regards to like lack of pubes and just kept on keeping on with my pubes. No, it was like a militant decision. These are my pubes and I'm well, no, it wasn't. With them. It was more of like an I didn't like 
I mean, I kind of was aware, like, maybe when I was, like, 16 from porn that, like, no one had any pubes. But then that creeped me. It did creep me out even as a teenager. But how strong-minded? Because I think your generation has been far more exposed to porn. I mean, listen, we all watch porn. And by the most part, I think almost you've started a trend. I'm certainly... I when I first started the pubes. <laughs> <trend. laughs> like... It's all down to Sydney that you see pubes in porn. No, but when I started watching porn, there were pubes and pubes vanished for a good 20 years, I reckon. And they're starting to make a comeback. Yeah. Because also, like, it opens up the question, like, what is, like, kind of pube maintenance? Who's it for? Is it for you or is it for your partner or whatever? Or in this case, it's for your mum. No, but, like, this is the Which thing. I it's like, if you're 13, is that, like, is she kind of... Uh, She's posing her own. in her sexuality. Absolutely. Is that the right word? Yeah. I mean, the fact is, I was told to shave my legs. So let's rethink oh, this. Oh, yeah, true, um, true. I mean, I shaved my legs from 13. Yeah. I was told to tidy up down there. I was certainly not told what shape to have. I didn't get that, that memo. memo. Literally, like, I'd have, I had boyfriends being like, oh, she's really hairy. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> I'm such a, a product of the 90s. I've got a landing strip, which is very neat and slightly shaved underneath and that's that's what I've always had every so often I'll take it off and start again (laughs) but that's just a habitual part and I think that there is something to be said about puberas well I had a boyfriend who was like a lot older than me he was about 30 and I was like 20 we were outside like having lunch once dinner maybe or I don't know it doesn't matter it's not part of the story um <laughs> <laughs> we're having lunch and we were having a cigarette outside and he was like I want you to look like a little girl down there and then like I think things like that like growing up has made me like even more adamant that I don't want to look like a little girl down oh. there well I think this is what's relevant to the whole John thing is I mean his uh specialist subject in this podcast is, is about porn and you know, I, I do think a lot of boys get their idea of what women should look like from porn. I think it is so impressionable. And, you know, I remember, th- who, what was the name of that porn star who actually came out with hairy armpits? And oh, no, Sasha Gray, no? She, she had it, the bush. She had a bush. Loved her. Loved her. I really want to get her on. Oh, my God. Really Sasha, if you're listening, on. please, we want to talk to you about your pubes. Yeah. But, you know, that, and, and actually as a female porn star to come out and be that empowering and mm. actually maybe change the dynamic. It may have taken a few years, but it's happened. Mm. And actually, do you know what? She was a fucking hit but with men and women because she was real. I know. It's like a lot of women I know who, like, well, I mean, most everyone watches porn, but, like, they always reference Sasha Gray. Like, my friend, she was like, yeah, this is my go-to. My go-to video Sasha, is Sasha, Sasha Gray. It's on Saved as Favourites. Saved as Favourites. <laughs> she was also famous for massive bum sex. <laughs> yeah, no, and gangbang. But she also kind of goes against them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this recording was in lockdown and he was in New York. So there was a little bit of a sound issue. And maybe a bit of a squealing issue towards know, the end. No, we did a lot of fun. Please, I apologise for me and Sydney within this because we were very excited. But without further ado, John Ronson. And lies and DM slides. Hi, John. Hey. John Ronson, this is very exciting. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. It's <laughs> all right. I've got to say that I feel like you and I are kindred spirits. She's been banging on about this for a while. I mean, I've <laughs> tried desperately to speak to you from afar in a slightly stalky way. And finally, I managed to just lure you in through the joys of the internet, which is quite ironic because this is what our show's about but listen whether it was the crazy conspiracy theorists in your first book adventures with extremists to the psychopaths and my bible into how to choose a boyfriend
boyfriend, the psychopath. You haven't done very well with that one. (laughs) It's terrible. It's not serving me at all. You find yourselves in fairly odd situations, siphoning out the weird and the wonderful in life's box of curiosities and oddities. Do you feel like you are the weirdo or that you're like into the weirdos? You know, the true answer to that is I consider myself a kind of egalitarian, so I consider myself on exactly the same level as most of the people I interview, be they weird or not. I just, I don't know, when I started out, I felt, I suppose, a little bit superior to the people I was chronicling. But that's before you get older and you start to accumulate your own Mm. baggage and your own irrationalities and, you know, God knows I've got enough of them. And these days I really never think of myself as being kind of... I know you didn't ask this question, but I've just gone off on a kind of tangent. (laughs) Uh, I've never sort of considered myself better than the people I'm, I'm chronicling. And in fact, you know what? If I was thinking about chronicling somebody who I thought I was better than, I probably wouldn't do it because to me try to connect with the people that I'm writing about to sort of find common ground even if you know there's abhorrent things about them is for me sort of what it's about. For me that sums up entirely because with the psychopath test I just sort of remember reading it and thinking oh this is how I'm going to be able to spot people and then all of a sudden you're like shit yeah (laughs) maybe I am people. Yes exactly in the psychopath test I sort of yeah I've become like drunk with the power of my psychopath's button skills and then yeah. realise that that kind of turns you a little bit psychopathic when you start, <laughs> you know, know, defining all of your enemies as psychopaths. I should, yeah. you know, caveat that by saying that some of my enemies, I think, probably are psychopaths. I sort of now introduce myself as possible sociopath, but <laughs> obviously that's not true because I wouldn't know. When I wrote that book, I never anticipated that lots of people would read the book and would sort of worriedly self-diagnose themselves oh as psychopaths. You have no idea. <laughs> It's been a help and a hindrance. <laughs> so this podcast is about the strange ways in which the internet has changed where you think of love and sex. And you've spoken a lot about the subject of porn. Where did that interest come from? <laughs> uh, it came from a non-Googling porn place. I'll tell you where it came from. My first ever encounter with a porn performer was when I was writing my book about public shaming called So You've Been Publicly Shamed, and I met a porn star. Well, it started off, I got a DM from a guy called Connor Habib, and he said he was a porn star, and if I wanted to know more about his work, I should Google him. So I Googled him and immediately saw, like, many photographs of his anus. (laughs) And... um, And he'd said to me that, you know, if I was writing a book about public shaming, then had I thought about looking at how porn performers deal with their shame by enacting it in scenes. So, like, if there's something particularly humiliating, something that haunts them, the way they deal with it is to own it by making a porn scene out of it. So it's almost like you become it. Yeah. I know. My arsehole. I'm going to become my arsehole. Is that... Exactly. <laughs> it's just knowing yourself inside out, really, isn't it? <laughs> to be honest, it's more sort of... Well, rather than me postulating, I'll tell you. So Connor introduced me to a porn performer called Princess Donna, and she invited me to a shoot called Public Disgrace, and it was a porn star called Jodie Taylor, and the scenario was that she was pulled into a bar against her will 
and we were all supposed to act surprised. And uh, and then somebody like has sex with Jodie Taylor, and we all were supposed to stand around shouting abusive things. Like what? Yeah, come on. What was yours? What did you say? Well, I, no, I didn't say. Oh, come on. Do you think I? <laughs> I said nothing. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, not going to yell. <laughs> Arguably, when you say nothing, that could be more abusive. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> well, I suppose so. So it wasn't like weird, eerie, you know, pointed silence. It was, you know, introversion. <laughs> but there was this guy at a beach hat standing next to me the people they co-opted were all sort of pretty sweet LA hipsters mm -hmm. and they all felt a little bit uncomfortable about shouting out abusive things mm -hmm. and the guy in the beanie hat next to me yelled out put ice on her tooth <laughs> <laughs> And honestly, it was so, like, I was still on New York time and it was in L.A. It was fulfilling all of my prejudices about porn shoots because, you know, it was flaky and they couldn't get the camera to work properly. And right, my first yeah. porn shoot was, in a way, just, it was the <laughs> flakiest by far. And it was still going on, like, at midnight. They'd barely shot anything, which was 3 a.m. in New York. So I was exhausted. So, you know, I found myself thinking you know, please ejaculate so I can go to sleep. <laughs> God, I feel that so many times. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, so, anyway, when I met Princess Donna, either that night or the night after, I can't remember, it was in the lobby of Chateau Marmont Hotel in Los Angeles. That's where I'd arranged to meet her. And as I walked towards her, the receptionist, who I presume, you know, it, it was kind of obvious that she worked in porn in some capacity because she was dressed very pornily. <laughs> Not like, she was dressed like in a sort of tight dress and big high heels, whereas everybody else at the Chateau Marmot was wearing like, you know, hoodies and greys and, you know, the sort of um, the burkas of the hipsters, hoodies <laughs> with hoods. The Hollywood baseball cap. Yeah, yeah, totally. Which is, by the way, exactly what I wear all the time. <laughs> and, I, and I noticed the receptionist looking at Princess Donna and the look on his face was one of contempt. He was obviously thinking, what is this porn person doing in my vicinity? And that look really stayed with me. It sort of felt like a hypocritical look. So I thought, I'm always interested in seeing a moment of hypocrisy. For some reason, hypocrisy lights my fire. So it was that look that made me want to investigate the porn community. That was the kind of origin moment. Was this, okay, so I was researching this earlier. The butterfly effect tells the story of how the explosion of the internet, so it's like how Pornhub mm. disempowered porn performers by sucking out all the money from the industry and sending it directly to Silicon Valley. Yes. Is this specific to porn or is this just a story of our age? Oh, no. After the hypocritical look on the face of the receptionist at the Chateau yeah. Marmont, I started like researching the industry, just thought, you know, what is there any stories here I can tell? And, and yeah, the story I discovered was that everybody in the porn community hated a man called Fabian. And Fabian was the man who gave the world Pornhub. And yeah, because of Fabian's... It wasn't his invention, but it was him who made Pornhub the monolith that is today. Mm. And because of Pornhub, you know, thousands of people in the San Fernando Valley got much poorer and Fabian got much richer to the extent that he mm. ended up having 18 cars and an aquarium that was so big it needed a diver to come and clean the coral reef. Whereas the porn people in the valley, you know, had to start escorting and finding other ways to make money. 
So I thought, okay, that's my that's my story because, as you say, it's not just porn; it's everything, right? It's music, it's taxis. You know, you see sort of amoral tech bros coming into every industry and getting rich at other people's expense. I mean, this is it. We're all unpaid content slaves of the Silicon Valley. So right. Well, I got paid for my last Instagram post, so I don't know about you. <laughs> Actually, so did I. <laughs> um, I. I recently had a friend post on her Instagram story a picture of her ass, firstly, but then a link to an OnlyFans account. Do you know about OnlyFans, John? Uh, yeah, uh, a bit. So you can directly like give pictures to a, a group of fans, I guess. It's a bit like what you were exploring with custom porn thing, you know? Exactly. And in fact, the reason why I didn't go far down the online fans nor the sort of chatterbait route in my story was because I discovered customs and customs were so amazing. I just thought, oh, really? well, I, okay, that tells the story. Oh, customs is incredible. It's like Explain only it. fans. Well, so let's say you have a desire to watch a porn film that's yeah. so niche Nobody would ever think to make it. How niche are we talking? Oh, then as niche as you can possibly imagine. Stamp niche. Yes, yeah, stamp niche. Not like incest or defecation. I don't know if that's called niche, John. I think that's just fucking weird. Right, exactly. The customs producers who I spent time with were ethical and wouldn't touch stuff like that. Yeah. When I discovered customs, I was beguiled because it was such a sweet-natured little corner of the porn industry because what it is is you know let's say you know you've got a desire to watch a porn film that's so weird nobody would ever think to make it you can now commission porn producers to make it just for you so professional teams of professional porn makers are staying afloat because of you know fabian and Pornhub and that business model by making entire porn films for just one viewer yeah, so it's things like, you mentioned stamps. This was a guy in Norway. Explain what stamp is. Well, this is Stamps Man. Stamps Man is one of the most mysterious purchases of customs in the valley. Like, the porn people in the valley talk about Stamps Man in hushed tones oh. because they're so intrigued by him. <laughs> stamps Man, he's commissioned ten videos in all. And in each of them, he mails porn stars his expensive stamp collection. Oh, yes. Yeah, and then they destroy it. Oh. And that's his custom. <laughs> what about if they're collector edition stamps? I mean, they are. Oh, yeah, they are. Some of them are valuable stamps. But I wonder if the value of the stamps now goes up because someone's had a shit on it. No, they're not because they're completely destroyed. They're burned and oh. destroyed. They end up just ash, nothing. Well, it's a bit like that time when, um, what's Malcolm McLaren's son? went out and burnt all the Sex Pistols memorabilia. And it was oh. done for art. <laughs> and yeah, well, the KLF burned a million oh, pounds. Oh, God. That, remember that. I kind of don't believe it. Do you believe that that actually happened? Someone told me it was like 25 grand. And then someone else said there was actually something positive about it. And I can't quite figure that out. Yeah, which was? I don't know, something to do with tax. And I don't know, I don't understand. I mean, for me, it's bad. I mean, it's as bad as that fucking woman throwing that massive diamond off the ship that's looking for the Titanic at the end of it. What the fuck? <laughs> anyway, back to sex. Yes. So, like, with the stamp thing, obviously it's a fetish. It's a fetish in that apparently there is quite a big market for people destroying valuable things. That is a fetish. Well, I've got... I had a guy approach me asking if I wanted a financial slave. What, so... like an accountant? <laughs> like a bookkeeper? <laughs> <laughs> no, Should have no. said Yes. Oh, he was just going to give you money. Yeah. Yeah, no, he messaged me asking if I wanted a financial slave. I did end up meeting up with him. Oh? 
and he kissed my boots and handed over a few hundred quid. It's a bit weird. I mean, like, that is kind of prostitution, isn't it? I guess to a degree. But my point being is there's the financial kind of fetish thing of like handing over money and like valuables. Yeah. Is a thing. It's real. It's obviously a kind of, I mean, I presume it's like a kind of submissive thing, right? Yeah. If you're giving somebody something that matters a lot to you and then you watch them destroy it. The only thing that I was reading in your research, though, John, going back to what you were talking about with the stamp guy, and actually referring to the, that whole side of the industry, we get to make these unique pieces of porn. Didn't someone have their mum in it? Or like somebody pretending what? to be their mum? That was Gremlin's Man. So <laughs> Gremlin's Man, the film that he wanted was Wonder Woman. So a porn performer dressed as Wonder Woman. She <laughs> wants to leave the house. But every time she tries to leave the house, a tiny gremlin pops up from behind the sofa and hits her on the head <laughs> with like a baseball bat, but not in a violent way, in a sort of Tom and Jerry type way, you know, slapstick. Yeah. And so like stunned, she stays put. So we contacted Gremlin's man to find out, you know, the backstory, <laughs> like why did he want this video made? And he said it's because the only memory he has of his mother is when he was like three years old and he was sitting on her suitcase trying to stop her from leaving the house. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, and she left. And so now he recreates that moment. As a gremlin. As a gremlin <laughs> and, and Wonder Woman. Wow. I mean, it's so sad. but It's, it's uh, kind but... of surrealist. I'm pretty impressed. This is a good sell. This, I feel like this should be an infomercial. Well, the thing that, that I loved so much about the, the custom world was that it was people finding, you know, the internet, it's, as you know, like in some ways such a terrible place, but this was people finding each other and helping each other. And it really felt like therapy for both parties, for the porn people and for the clients. Somebody said to me when I was making The Butterfly Effect that the thing they hate about journalists who come in and do something about porn is that someone has to be, like, bad. But in the bespoke porn world, in the customs world, no one's bad. It's just people helping each other. That's quite so sweet. I definitely, I'm very pro this industry. Yeah, well, I'm certainly pro. I mean, you know, porn has, you know, some very dark areas to it. Yeah. That's just the truth. So what is the ethical cost then of free porn? Well, I mean, everybody who watches Pornhub is exploiting people. Mm -hmm. I mean, as you said, you know, people are now finding ways to make that work for them. Like, as you said, you know, OnlyFans and people yeah. have their own pages. You know, porn stars have their own pages on Pornhub. But that's not so great. You know, one time I was on a porn set and a porn performer called Janice Griffith came in who's like very, even though she doesn't have a very porny name, yeah. she has a sort of Welsh <laughs> villager name. Janice! <laughs> yeah, she's apparently like a very, very successful porn star. And she came in and she was wearing a Pornhub T-shirt and she did it to annoy the director, Mike Quasar, who, you know, despises Pornhub because it's like ruined his livelihood. So to sort of make fun of Mike, she was wearing a Pornhub T-shirt and she said, I make money out of Pornhub, I've got my own page and I make money. And Mike said, well, how much money did you make last month? And she said, I, I can't, I'm going to invent these figures because I can't remember. She said, like, you know, $8,000. And Mike said, and how many views did you have? And she went, like, oh, 300 million. And Mike was around in the DVD days. And he said, you know, I can't tell you how much money you would have made with that many views before Pornhub. Do you think Pornhub's become more extreme? Uh, like, since it's arrived, so, you know... It's not as simple as blaming Pornhub because... Because that's what I thought, and I asked Mike, like Mike Quasar, and he said, actually, 
the most violent porn that he knows of happened before Pornhub. There were these two directors, Max Hardcore, I think one of them was called, and then there was another one, his name I can't remember. And they were, like, really horrible. I mean, to the extent that at least one of the two of them, and I think possibly both of them, ended up going to prison. I mean, that's that's how, mm. you know, disgusting their, their porn was. But they were really popular. And as a result, more ethical directors started to feel pressure to be more abusive themselves yeah. I mean you get this with psychopaths I mean I've noticed mm. this when I was writing my book about psychopaths like if you've got a psychopath at the head of the company that you work for it's like everybody has to be a little bit more psychopathic to keep up yeah. it's like the malevolence spreads yeah. and this was happening in the, in the 90s in the porn world well, I'm assumably it was full of psychopaths as well so that probably makes mm. sense yes yeah 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 in fact I've got a funny porn psychopath story if you'd like to hear it yes i would okay so there was one particular producer who i met he was such a sweetie he was like kind of nebbishy and just you know kind of adorable and later on i said to somebody oh that guy let's call him dave (laughs) i said um oh dave he's he's like he's so adorable and the guy said, oh, no, 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 Dave's a psychopath. He was mirroring you. Oh. Yeah, meaning, you know, he was copying me to make me like him so he could potentially manipulate me if he wanted to. And this was post the psychopath test. It's so interesting that you should say that. Psychopaths and narcissists are so good at it yeah. that even if you've written a fucking book on the subject, you can still be suckered. Yeah. That's fascinating to me. Like, I've been suckered more than once by psychopaths, and that's after I wrote that book. So, me and Gizzy, I think it's safe to say we've dated our fair share of psychopaths. Mm -hmm. What is the difference, then, between a psychopath and a narcissist? Because they seem pretty similar. Psychopaths and narcissists, like extreme malevolent narcissists, what they do is really, really similar both types of people will manipulate you, they'll, they'll mirror you, they don't have empathy. So there's like loads of similarities. I think the, the very big difference between them is what's going on under the surface. So with psychopaths, I mean, I'm, I'm going by the literature here, but also from personal experience. So psychopaths behave the way that they do because it's a brain anomaly. There's nothing going on under the surface. There's no emotions go under there. They see the world in terms of predators and prey and think it would be foolish not to exploit weaknesses in other people. But the reason why they have no empathy is because they've got no empathy, like the part of the brain that registers empathy and so on just doesn't, just underperforms. And so they have to like fake emotions because they don't have emotions. It's like, this is why in the psychopath checklist, you've got this thing called shallow affect, which means an inability to experience a range of emotions. So they mirror you because they don't really know how to behave. They mirror you both to manipulate you, but also to pretend to be a fully rounded emotional person. Yeah. They're trying to replicate what they see as emotions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whereas narcissists, they do all of that stuff, but it's not because there's nothing going on under the surface. A lot of narcissists are vulnerable and have anxiety and depression, but they can't deal with it. So they lash out. So I'll lash out at myself, like, you know, as an anxious person. Like if I make a mistake or something, I'll beat myself up. 
But narcissists, for some reason, they can't do it. They can't look inward. So if something like that happens, they lash out at other people. They beat up other people because they can't, they can't look inward. So the outward manifestations are the same between psychopaths and narcissists, but the reason for them doing it is completely different. Have you ever been, like, at any point, like, kind of become concerned with your own traits within those diagnoses? Uh, I was probably more narcissistic when I was younger than I am now. I was certainly kind of, when I was starting out in my career, I was certainly more willing, like, mm-hmm. to sort of have, have some fun at the expense of the people I was writing about, mm-hmm. you know, sort of highlighting their absurd character traits and so on. But as I got older... I really can't do that anymore because I understand that being a journalist is kind of like being a mugger. You want to do the right thing, you know, you want to be a good, responsible journalist and it's totally cool as a journalist to, you know, hold powerful people to account, that's what we should be doing. But now ethics and empathy and Mm. curiosity just matter so much more to me, which just made me wonder whether younger people are sort of inherently more narcissistic than than, or or psychopathic even. I think it's a combination. I I think I think the fact that people are so public facing, even even everyone has a reason to be public facing now. And and actually, naturally, that's going to create sort of mediocre versions of narcissistic tendencies within everyone. And I think that you know when you look at the young i think that there's so much to understand and having to be publicly faced and then understand the kindness movement the 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 me too that the, it's almost naturally you're so god sort of what's the word where you're bombarded by everything that it's impossible not to be narcissistic well you know social media is a it's still a new experiment you know i mean it's it's only been um, well, social media has only been a thing for, you know, what, 10, 15 years. And then the the kind of age of the self, you know, people starting to, to be more sort of self-interested has only been going for, what, about 30, 40 years? It's still relatively new. So, yeah, I agree with you that young people are in a whole new world that nobody's ever had to live in before. I didn't have to think about, you know, my brand, you know, when I was at school. Um, maybe I should have thought about it a little bit more. I wouldn't be beaten up quite so much. But, you know, the fact is, I didn't have to worry about how I came over on the internet when I was a kid. Thank God. It's very, you know, it's highly stressful and it is enough to warp somebody's thought process. And when you fuck up online, you, you're like a corporation that's well, committed a PR disaster yeah. and you have to do like kind of um, sort of reputation management. And, you know, yeah. these are really stressful things for, for kids to have to think about. And if it does turn some of them more narcissistic, I mean, and I'm, I'm talking literally the clinical definition of narcissism, it's kind of understandable because, you know, Silicon Valley is putting kids through really stressful changes well i i had a i had a friend well someone i knew who um posted a picture on instagram of the two builders and the caption was uh, they look like they've got two gcses between them and it went mm. viral i think i remember that yeah and she she basically like as a result she was hated on for fucking ages because it was like a a, a female a white female yeah. saying something about the working class who everyone assumed was from an upper class background at the time and that was also gave more gravitas to their shaming of her exactly because the worst thing you can do 
you know, is, is misuse your privilege, yeah. which I think itself is really troublesome because yeah. it means that, you know, the phrase misuse of privilege has pretty much become a free pass to tear whoever we like apart because, yeah. you know, pretty much everyone is privileged and, you know, or, or can be defined as being privileged if you want to define them that way for nefarious intent. You know, I can't help but find this quite personal because I was very good friends with Caroline Flack mm -hmm. and, you know, undoubtedly the two things which contributed to her very sad death were, well, the attack on her from the media and then also through social media, actually, definitely attributed to her death. Sure. But it also attributed to the Be Kind movement. Right. But the Be Kind thing, I feel, is carried by the people who were also the knobs <laughs> in the first place. Right. I sort of don't feel... Like it's, uh, yes, it's important. And yes, some people are picking up on it. And yes, people are trying to be more courteous and kind and compassionate. Sure they are. But it can be like know. posturing and, and just if you hashtag be kind, then you can feel okay about just yeah. tearing someone yeah. to shreds. Yeah. Exactly. That feeds into this constant barrage of things we're meant to learn from the internet. But it still, mm. it almost allows the behaviour that should be disallowed because I've hashtagged be kind. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I agree. I mean, and in fact, you know, social scientists say that people behave more violently when they believe that they're doing it in a moral cause. Oh. And you see true. that on social media all the time, yeah, that it's morality. It's true. Like, just because something comes from compassion doesn't mean that you're not being a dick within the process of how you deliver that. Yes. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And the other thing that really bugs me is how... Um, this is like the other side of the same coin, that when you really are saying something heartfelt that you believe in, you then get accused of virtue <laughs> signalling. And, yeah. and mm. so either way, both <laughs> sides of it are bad in their way. That um, Some people do virtue signal, and it's not just on yeah. the left, I think it's on the right as well. But, but then, you know, the phrase virtue signalling is also used as a weapon to stop people yeah. from behaving in pathetic ways. See, that's what I feel like we are currently with the internet and social media, is that everything's weaponised. Mm. We've both of us have received our well, I say fair share, but I actually haven't got as many as I'd like to think I have. But dick pics. <laughs> What's your like stance on the psychology behind a, sending a dick pic? Have you sent a dick pic? I've never sent a dick pic, uh, <laughs> nor have I ever um, done any research on dick pic um, senders. So, so it's, it remains uh, yeah, a mystery to me why dick pics is such a big thing. Well, often they're not that big. Right. John, <laughs> An anonymous dick pic, that's kind of weird when you get it from a stranger on uh, Instagram DM. Mm -hmm. That's the majority of them. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've never received like a genuine dick pic. I've just only received a uh, the other inbox dick pic. Uh -huh. They're quite aggressive. Yeah, no, a friend of mine, my, my only ever experience with a dick pic is a friend of mine showed me a dick pic that she'd been sent. Like she's a, she's a well-known person and, and she showed me a dick pic that she'd been sent. And, and yeah, it was this tiny little... You know, yeah, it's like, why a... would you? Was it like, flaccid just... or was it? Is it, the... it was. It was flaccid. I mean, look, I looked at it for about half a second, and and so so this may be a false memory, but <laughs> my memory. <laughs> A fantasy. But in my memory, it was very small and flaccid and really unattractive. You weren't aroused. <laughs> I, I was not aroused. And I don't know why some men do that. I mean, it's obviously to do with a chasm in, in somebody's psychology. But do yeah. you have fans that kind of slide into your DMs and are inappropriate or like... Or is it just me? I mean, <laughs> I've never been sent anything 
like a dick pic or nor... A clit pic. No, that's never, ever happened. I get the odd strange DM, but it's never sexual. Well, what's, what's what kind of messages? Well, what I get a lot of, especially since the many stare at goats, is people saying to me, you know, I've got a story. It's a really, really important story please contact me and nowadays I tend not to because I know what where it's going but on the occasions in the past where I have done it it's almost always people who have schizo- you know who have psychosis who think that they're being like you know watched by the government and if I ever respond to them there's a couple of people two people who I responded to and years later they still email me constantly and they're really troubled like come on what how troubled i know this is inappropriate no one needs to know their names uh well the giveaway is how the sentence ends in a completely different place to where it starts it's like they've lost their track of of what they're trying to say mid-sentence i'll tell you what though i called the police on one of them here's a story i've never told this is quite a lot this is when i still lived in london I mean, there's two in particular, and they both got threatening. Like, they both started, like, talking about killing me. So I went to the police for the first one, and they took me into the police station, and I, like, made a statement, and there were these two police officers, and one of them was, like, really gung-ho for me to prosecute, and the other one was, like, really against me for wanting to prosecute. And they started, like, arguing with each other, these two cops, because the the cop who didn't want me to prosecute was basically saying, why prod a hornet's nest? You know, this person who's emailing you these death threats is most likely to be harmless unless you prod at them and then they might get more yeah, aggressive. Yeah, no, I sort of get that. Yeah, it was really it was really memorable. You know, I've never I've never told anyone this before. Oh, it was darling, really memorable. I feel so, that must be an absolute hell zone. No, 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 it was interesting. I mean, it was worrying because, you know, at the time I had like a young kid and yeah, But course. yeah, so I sat there and watched these two police officers arguing with each other about whether or not I should, you know, uh, lodge an official complaint. Yeah. And then the person with psychosis wrote me another email to say that his therapist had told him that I'd gone to the police about him. Whoa. Yeah. And how did you feel about the whole thing? Well, after that, it just sort of ended. This is all like 10 years ago. And no, my, my lasting memory is agreeing with the police officer who said I shouldn't do anything. And that did prove right, because it did all just vanish. And being really pissed off with the therapist for fucking blabbing on me to the to his client with psychosis who'd been sending me violent emails. What I feel like is so often these threats are people hidden behind their telephones. So I was in a cinema and two hours later left looked at my phone, looked at Twitter, and somebody had said, I'm right behind you, one false move, and I'm going to slit your throat. Oh. But I didn't get it until, like, two hours after I left. And actually, you're like, what the fuck? Like, if I'd seen that in the cinema, I would have shat my pants. Yeah. But the fact was, I didn't, and I didn't until it was two hours late. And somebody's obviously just being a prick. So what is what do you think the psychology is with people hanging behind their telephones and being able to utilise the abuse. Well, I mean, you know, there's all sorts of different things going on with different individuals. I mean, some are doing it because they think they're doing, you know, the, the, the right thing, the moral thing. And that side of it always interests me. It interests me more than tr- just trolls who just enjoy, you know, anarchically sowing chaos, you know, which is presumably 
their own sort of self-hating reasons. But what interests me, I think, more than the kind of, you know, grinning trolls who just want to sow chaos are the people who are doing bad thinking that they're doing good. They, they really interest me. And I think the majority, you know, you could argue that the majority of shamings and, you know, pylons and so on are not orchestrated by, you know, insane people. They're orchestrated by moral people who are just being swept away with their morality. It's true. Yeah, Yeah, and I think that's really... I mean, for me, that's super interesting. John, thank you so much. This is exactly why we're doing this. It's a very enlightening way of looking someone who's intellectual, funny, got a lot to say about the weird world of social media. I feel like I could keep talking and talking with you. When this is all over and when you're next in London, please come and have a drink with us. Can you come and hang out? She'll cook for you. Definitely. I'll cook. That's what I Definitely. did. Definitely. John, you've been incredible. You've made all my dreams come true. <laughs> Thank all, you. All it was the so weird nice. dreams. All the, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be calling up your porn mate to make a special video about this. Anyway, <laughs> really good to speak to you. It was Thank lovely so talking much. to you both. Take care, love. <laughs> do you do customs? <laughs> <laughs> I do not. <laughs> for listening to our spotify original podcast sex lies and dm slides please follow us on spotify and tell all your mates about it if you enjoyed it and if you have any weird and wonderful sex lies and dm slides stories of your own do slide into our dms at sydney lima and at gizzy erskine no dick pics please also follow us on twitter and instagram at sex lies dm slides this spotify original podcast is a hayden prowse production edited by matt and scott at pod monkey with music by free seed films our executive producers at spotify are rachel simpson and alexandra Aidy. 